So I would like to start the question, I think, many students are looking for this panel because we have the question, how I should know that academia is for me or not? Some people, I read a lot of stories and based on the question we receive, you do undergraduate studies and then you are not sure whether you should go for academia or not. And maybe I'm curious to ask each of you how life is academicians really is in different stages, because we know when we teach a student or postdoc, we decide to do that, that also something we will cover. And then as a professor, there's a lot of questions people ask. How I can know this for me or not, for you listening now, I can figure out that. And not just to select because everyone is doing that, so let's do that. And it's happening. So who wants to start? How is your real life as a technician? The bad one and the good one, just the realistic perspective. Who would like to start? Okay. I can, I can maybe start. Um, okay. Um, if, that's, if that's okay. So I don't know if I can speak, you know, give like very general advice on this. I'm sure like every person makes decisions um, in slightly different ways. Some people are planners. Some people are more intuitive in a way. Some people have very many different constraints on kind of um, uh, about life in all sorts of way about what they can actually uh, do from this perspective. Um, but personally, the way I decided, um, and maybe not very consciously, but what I did was I tried both things. Um, and the way I did this is by doing internships, doing my PhD. So uh, in a way, um, I decided for trying a PhD because I really like problem solving, tinkering with robots. I, I just really like that. And I kind of fit, fit into my life to do that at that point. And so I decided to do that. Mm. Um, uh, I just enjoyed that kind of academic um, curiosity, I guess, for solving problems. Uh, and then afterwards, um, and within that PhD, I did an internship. In fact, it was in the US. It was at Willow Garage uh, back in the days when they still existed in 2011. And while I learned a lot there, I also saw a difference between uh, an academic approach to robotics and an industry approach to robotics, although maybe Willow Garage was also a very special place. Mm -hmm. um, but I realized that I really liked academia much more, and that's how I decided to actually pursue a postdoc after uh, my PhD. Um, mm -hmm. So, And so for me personally, I decide these things by actually trying them and see how I like them because it's difficult to rationalize yeah. without having actually experienced it. That's my personal experience, at least. Maybe others made these choices differently. I can maybe join in uh, on, um, so I guess the, the, the one thing that I, I, I'm not a planner as well, and so I really didn't know until the end of the PhD that I would like to continue to academic career. And my main factor is kind of, is it fun? So I know there are difficult uh, moments uh, in the PhD, also in the postdoc, and uh, I wouldn't, I, I won't lie, also as a faculty. Uh, but um, it, it, the, the, the part of uh, like, okay, but I really enjoy the work. That was number one factor. And, uh, for why in the more in academia, because you can enjoy many things, is, is this ability to really explore what I want, this, this complete freedom to really pursue any research question, uh, no matter how hard it is and how long it will take, no time constraint on answering the question. This is the, the major factor for academia. And the last thing is that I love traveling and don't, I don't think it's highlighted enough how much can you explore the world by being an academic? And this is now an example because, uh, I mean, 
live in California, then we live in the UK, then we live in wherever. <laughs> Great. But I would like to push back again on the point, how you figure out that? Because I think still, if you want to do a postdoc or find a position, what makes a successful academician? Yeah, there's a good side, but if anyone just doing now a PhD, how you make sure you're eligible for the market? Because we know, let's be honest, there is much competition out there and there's a lot of issue we will touch in later, but what makes a successful academician or what makes you eligible to apply for a position as a professor? I think that's uh, many people want to know the answer. What are criteria? What are the metrics do you think makes you a successful academician? Anyone would like to answer that? I don't have an answer. I, I'm just going to give you some some thoughts. Yeah. Um, for me, it was a bit similar to what Jeanette was uh, saying. Uh, also trying it out in a sense, uh, doing internships, and then my postdoc was um, more or less at a research institute, Honda Research, in my case. Um, but to come back to your new question. Mm. So I'd say between moving between a PhD student and postdoc position, that's a step, but it's not such a huge one. But then kind of in terms of expectations and what you do and requirements moving from a postdoc to, to a faculty position, at least for me, that was quite a drastic change. And I'm not sure how you can prepare for that. Um, mm. The, the dean of my faculty likes to compare it between moving from a soccer player to, to a soccer coach and the step between postdoc and tenure tracker. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is, I'd actually put it a bit more negatively than uh, the other two speakers. Uh, I figured out that the things I don't like, I actually have both in academia and in industry. Mm. And academia gives me more freedom, like, they already said so for me that was the deciding factor mm -hmm. great so maybe i'm curious to ask maybe julia uh, what things maybe you think need to change it in the academic period yeah Again, I, you know, as, as, as Jeanette mentioned, I, I can share my own experience and then some others have to figure out how transferable it is. Um, but I was not born knowing I wanted to be a professor, so that that's for sure. My dream was always to uh, go work at NASA and be a civil servant at NASA, and JPL caught my eye. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I was in high school and I looked up online, um, how do you get, you know, who works at JPL, and 80% you know, of them have PhDs. So that was always in the back of my mind. I'm like, okay, so if I want that job, I may need a PhD. And when I, uh, when I started grad school, um, I, you know, that, that was sort of my goal um, out of grad school. And a professor invited me to TA, um, one of the undergrad controls classes. And that was a very big stretch for me because I'm a shy person and do not like public speaking, believe it or not. <laughs> it was very stressful and, uh, and challenging for me. Uh, but I actually really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed being in front of the classroom and watching people yeah. sort of understand, you know, step by step what I was, what I was working through. Um, it felt very immediate compared to research. Uh, and that was the first time I kind of looked up at the professors teaching that class and said, Oh, this is what is their job actually? And then I started asking questions. <laughs> what is a professor's job? Um, and uh, I applied sort of broadly out of the PhD. Um, uh, but um, you know the, the main reason I applied to faculty positions as a part of that is because my advisor asked me along the way, you know, what are you thinking for your you know future steps? And uh, and when I said, you know, maybe professor, he did not mm -hmm. laugh at me. And I thought he said, oh, 
okay, well, we can, you know, think about, you know, net, you know, putting an application together for that at some point. And so I did, among other things. Um, and uh, I had the really interesting opportunity to work at, in, at industry for a year. I knew I was going back to MIT. I had accepted the offer uh, for the faculty position at MIT. And um, my time in industry, I thought I was going back to academia because I love to teach. To be honest. I mean, I love research. <laughs> um, but uh, what I learned in my time in industry is that, uh, to be successful really in any job, you have to be an, an outstanding teacher. Um, there's teaching in any job that you do, including um, in industry. Uh, but there were differences in how you formulated problems. So I was given a problem uh, and asked to sort of lay out a research program for it or a develop R&D really uh, program for it. And I came back to them and said, uh, okay, so here's the you know most general formulation of the problem, and it's probably a two-year project. And they were like, okay, but something needs to be on the factory floor in six weeks. And I was like, okay, I see now. <laughs> so it was, um, uh, but really exciting, right? To make something real on, on such an immediate time frame. Um, but what brought me back to academia and what's really kept me there is at academia, you know, we have to fight for like every 100K in a way that my colleagues in industry don't. Yeah. Um, but you have this amazing opportunity to have a vision for the future that, that mm -hmm. someone is not bringing to you. It's, you it's, it's yours that you want to, you know, and then, and then show someone that it can be possible through your uh, yeah. technical expertise in your work. Um, and that's really inspiring for me to be able to, uh, you know, uh, convince someone something is interesting enough to fun and then be able to show a different future that might exist by, um, by following that path, shaping technology in a particular direction. Um, and so um, I'm obviously, biased because I stayed in academia, but yeah. um, it's, it's a really great job. Again, with pros and cons, but it's a super great job. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, yeah. But maybe, yeah, yeah, I will ask also, you, uh, if you want to add, yeah. Go ahead, yeah, yeah, it's fine. No, go ahead, please. No, I, want, I wanted to tell, uh, it also depends on you, a little bit on your experience, right? So I think um, the background of what you, how, how you did your research, or let's say how you ended up in, in, in uh, industry, probably if you had a let's say a pleasant phd or some sort of like a good fruitful let's say productive postdoc afterward this kind of encourages you to stay to stay in, in academia but on the other hand industry for instance some people got mundane jobs and they you know they got infected by the negative uh, let's say or at the same time they got very stable position you know a little bit of trade-off in between but to my um to my vision i think um the, the most exciting part of academia is the is its flexibility right so for instance as kids we were playing with several toys and sometimes you get bored with one toy and just you know you just change it because some new toys toy comes and you start you know exploring it playing with it and stuff like that i think academia is a little bit same the same except they pay you even for for doing mm -hmm. this kind of stuff you know the, i think the the you can you can explore new directions and when these new directions yeah. can ha also have some impact and it comes back with some results that you see things can change by the by the stuff that you might be creating eventually. This this, this brings a lot of joy, and uh, I think this joy also exists in the industry. It's just I think uh, it's fifty percent what you're made from if you're if you're responding to the, the stimuli coming from the environment, and also uh, a little bit of you know experience. Not everybody has the chance of ending up in good groups of research or in good industry. So combining these probably will will show you the direction. That's a good point. That's that's also a question from a student. What factor do you think like networking in academia? Beyond that, you really bash about that. But let's be honest about factors that could be enhanced chances to be in academia. Because we know we, we know that sometimes there's a lot of issues here. 
the networking. What do you guys think was for you? You wish to you know that, but yeah, just make it easier for you to find what you really want. Do you think networking, what are factors do you think for a student listening you have to pay attention for? Besides you enjoy what you do, what's something you have to consider? Like networking, I'm curious, what, 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 maybe Janet wants to add something here. Yeah, uh, I maybe something that um, coming a little bit also back to the question you had before. What are the factors that make you a, a good academic person? Yeah. Um, you should ask your advisor or any mentor you have. And so this is where networking, as you just mentioned, is actually important. Um, it's good to that um, if you decide like being a professor could be interesting to you to get an outside perspective like um um, on like, what do you think do I have to do still in order to have a good application package that I can then send on the faculty market? And so um, your advisor or other mentors are super helpful with that. And so um, networking that I, I know there's like the rising stories, for example, that is super helpful for people to go to and just understand and get a little bit of coaching. And so taking these opportunities mm. um, uh, and trying to go to these kinds of events really, I think is really helpful um, to um, understand maybe also where the things are you still have to work on. So definitely mm. networking is something I recommend. Personally, I also never thought to become a professor until someone of my senior colleagues asked me like, so, like, don't you want to do that? And then I was starting yeah. to think about it in the first place. So I think this maybe happens to uh, some other people as well. So networking is important. And then if you ask someone, they can look at your CV. What kind of publications do you have? Um, do you maybe at the end of your PhD, maybe you should lead a project rather than being necessarily the first author to also kind of have that kind of Mm -hmm. um, experience of leading a research group. Uh, this is what Jens just said, right? You you move from being a soccer player to being a coach, actually. Uh, this is something that um, uh, is definitely a very good, I think it's a very good characterization of, of the um, what you, how you change, how your job changes. And then trying teaching is important because, yeah, teaching is such a big part of this. So if you hate it, you I think you maybe shouldn't do academia, honestly, or you should go to a research institute where teaching is maybe not like the core um, part of your job. So that's maybe another advice um, that I, yeah. I would. That's give. really that's very excellent point. I would like to ask you guys about the research stuff because one of the questions there's a guy asking. He's doing like a surgical institute. He's not doing a practical work, and he has a lot of concern here that. Should I change what I'm doing? My chances based on the research, or that the research is frenzy, will have a higher chance to get a position because I'm working in this area. Do you think the research itself, if someone interested, have to pay attention whether that would be enhances my chances in academia as a career? Anyone would like to answer? Also, Janet, yeah. Do you think the research topic, because I think that's also another topic related to publication, related to funding. We will discuss that later. But do you think for a PhD student now or master student, the topic of research should pay attention what kind of topic you are working on? I, 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 like, I, I think I want to answer this question. Yeah, really, yeah. Um, so it's, um, I, I think often I, 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 I have 
people ask this question. I hear people ask this question. What is the best research to do in terms mm -hmm. of uh, like getting to academia? And in my eyes, and again, it's very subjective, but I think that's part of the things you need to un understand in yourself, whether you want to become an, a researcher in academia, is whether there is a topic that you care about enough that you want to pursue it. Mm. And then actually, this is the one thing that should not be um, like uh, dictated by the environment, because maybe now there is a topic that you're super interested in and it's not very popular. And maybe it's mm. gonna be a little bit even more difficult to find a position. But then you, it's really your passion to study, and I, I, I think this is the really important thing. Yeah, if I can add something to that, it's actually quite interesting. So sometimes in the conferences, the people that start their PhDs or they're like in the middle of or end of their master, let's say, courses, going to the conferences, they see there are like these tracks uh, for this topic, that topic, and everybody's following them. So when you're starting that, after three, four years of finishing your PhD, the best you could do is to become another name which is known in the society for that, for that, let's say, topic. But there's no topic after your name. So maybe you're starting a topic. For the time being, nobody has interest towards that. Maybe it doesn't even exist. Maybe it's, the, you know, you're combining some, some topics, creating some, some new line. And people will say, ah, oh, that's interesting, but I haven't heard of it. So you might be the only one in a session and uh, irrelevant to, to what other people are talking. But in a few years, people will know you. You're the pioneer of that, that direction. But it doesn't mean what you're doing now. If nobody else is doing it, means that basically it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it's not worth. But if it happens in the five years' time, maybe you should stop doing that. But if you see the trend, if you see that there's there's feedback, people are starting to do things. Uh, you're, it goes well. Probably you're in the right direction. Results are a bit slower than expected in in research if you're working working on new areas. Of course. Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Arish. But I would like to maybe bring more what is maybe in reality we see that and i think that's related to again publication and funding and some researchers for example i think that's that's something we have to discuss avoid this kind of new idea or risky point of research because you, you're not sure if you're doing a publication you're already done so you can't get grants and let's be honest here for students uh, how how they how they can select their own topic if for example i'm afraid to go this new idea because it's risky it's new no one did it. Why should we risk in that? And that's what happening related to funding and publication, which would cover. But do you think that for students can do that? I'm just curious, what do you think? I'm I'm happy to to jump in. I mean I think you yeah, know, echoing sure. yeah, some of some of the other points, you really have to start with, you know, what, what you believe in and, and what you're very passionate about. And yeah. um uh, that may be with the current trends and it and it may not be and there's a little bit of a different path if it's one or the other for sure but and, you know a core part of being a professor is writing proposals but like more fundamental than that it's like selling the ideas right <laughs> and you are a much better seller of the ideas when you truly believe in them and are truly passionate about them um, and you'll do your best most creative work by pursuing work that you feel that way about so that's like that's the root of success and then I had, I know why you keep coming back to this question, because I had all the same questions when I was a grad student and I would go to professor to professor and ask exactly that set of questions and would get back the answers you're getting back now. Um, and the answers would be, well, don't worry about the publications, put that aside, uh, do the work, and then we figure out the publications after. And that's not fully correct, right? I mean, so like you need to pursue your work, uh, you know, mm -hmm. that you're passionate about. It needs to be very done in a very high quality way. 
but the way you frame it and then the way you set and lay out the paper and the types of results you produce to support um, you know, that work is a little different depending on, you know, where you aim to publish that work and it kind of needs mm -hmm. to fit within what's discussed and what's valued in that community. So there definitely is strategy around that. And there's like an option space too. So it might, yeah. might be a little easier or harder to put a certain work in a certain area. You might have to do some additional work to make it go one place or another. Um, but uh, I do, I, I do fully subscribe to the advice that that's not that's not the first order consideration, uh, but it's not the last either. It's sort of yeah. you know there is this interplay between the two. But what has to come first is that you're pursuing a direction that you're um, that you're passionate about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Also, yes. going to help in making the steps. So having a vision, having a goal, having a direction. It's something uh, very important when you want to take the step towards becoming faculty. That's uh, what a lot of people are looking for. I mean, that's kind of the flip side of having the freedom to explore our interests. We actually need to define them and um, to make that work. If you also, like Julie was just saying, you need to build up kind of your profile to position yourself as the person in that specific area and kind of showed that you're capable of going towards that goal and uh, reaching that. Mm -hmm. Great. I don't know if anyone would like to add this point again. Anyone would like to add here? I, I, I think I have one one thought and it's relatively fun, so it kind of goes back to how do you know? But the thing is that the amount of um, guidance and advising you get sort of develops as you go through the path, right? Because if you're starting as a PhD student, you know, if you have a topic and an idea that you're super passionate about and you go to your advisor about it, they will probably follow you because if you're so passionate and if there is not such a thing, then it's also okay because then the advisor can kind of guide you. And then as you develop and you move forward, I think it is something that is like, if I'm thinking about one thing that I need to know, am I like, can I be an academic career? At the end of your postdoc or PhD is really important that you have those ideas that you're passionate about, but it's mm -hmm. okay that you have them and don't have them in the beginning. And one mm -hmm. other point that I really wanted to mention is that is related to the imposter syndrome is that you don't have to know that you're suitable to be an academic. You, it is okay that you want to be one and try and let the environment decide for you. Don't decide for yourself. That's an excellent point. Thanks so much for bringing this point, Elena. And I think this point, uh, there's a question, mini question about that point. I think uh, the question is, is in what basis would one decide whether to do a postdoc or looking for a successful citizenship in the last year of the PhD? So I think that's many, many people ask this question. I'm in the last year. Should I just try to look for a position or go to the postdoc? I think that many people struggle in this point. I wanted to know what you think. Should you do a postdoc? On which basis you decide? Do a postdoc or try or do both? How was the experience, do you think, or what advices you can give here? Right. I can add something. So um, sometimes I see one of the, I think, downsides of research is that sometimes when you're too much head uh, in your computer and you do, you're doing a lot of exciting stuff, but sometimes you lose track of time. I see sometimes people doing five, six postdocs in a row. And then this is so exciting because you keep moving, you're doing a lot of stuff, you're networking, you're doing exciting things, but then 
you lose basically the, the, the all the opportunities going around you. You know, I think this 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 you need to capture that before it comes to that point. You know, all the opportunities, especially in robotics and automation society, which is really at the moment we are going towards the direction that you know you see a lot of uh, both industry, academia, a lot of uh, nice positions available. I think at some point you need to know when you're ready to take responsibilities for your decisions because up, even if in your postdoc, whatever goes wrong, it's your supervisor's fault. But then mm -hmm. there will be a moment that you decide, okay, I can take decisions because I have enough experience. Not to be afraid of uh, decisions you take, but of course, there will be a lot of mistakes. But in that moment, I think it's it's time. But we need to be really, you know, it, it's, it's, it's risky. Sometimes you're, you're too much stuck in, in a lot of nice things that you lose track of time. And and it might be too late when you come back to to mm -hmm. for uh, you know like assistant professorship and things like that. It should you know it, you should take time to all the activities in my opinion. That's a very excellent point. Very excellent point. I don't know if anyone would like to add what Arush said. I think yeah, because many people struggle with this point. This. Maybe, maybe I. I, I, I yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to say that for many research-oriented positions in academia, it's also not kind of the, the step out. There are quite a few people that are coming back again after doing some kind of a postdoc effectively in industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I think, yeah, I think that's the point. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's a very critical point and very important. So I, 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 any, any final words about this point in particular, what Eric said, because I think it's relating to many people here, so. Yeah. You just, yeah. Sorry, oh, Julie. Go, you, you, yes, please. Oh, okay. So I, I can maybe say. So what I'm seeing right now yeah. is that there are some people who apply right out out of their PhD, uh, especially in the US. I think it's more common. Um, mm. And then some people first do a postdoc and then uh, go on the faculty market if that's their choice. Um, but even if you are applying right out of your PhD, often people still do one year of postdoc. Or I think, Julie, you said the same, right? Like you deferred one year. Um, and uh, I know like I had a postdoc like Wenjin Yuan was now faculty at CMU. She already was going to go there, but her she did like one year of postdoc in between just to get a little bit more experience. And also we talked a lot about what she has to do as a faculty and get some advice. So I think... Just generally doing a postdoc before you transition to faculty is a nice buffer, mm -hmm. right? Where you don't yet have yeah. to carry all the responsibility. Uh, and now, whether to still apply right after your PhD, that's something you should really discuss with, again, with your advisor or your mm -hmm. mentors who are in your field and have like a good overview of your field and maybe can tell you, like, oh, okay, like, how are you doing? Like, what are the things you maybe need a little bit more time to? work on you know like who know like this is really something your advisor can probably judge best who's also mm -hmm. in that particular field i would say it's really a personal decision yeah. i would say it's hard to make like general judgment yeah. or like uh, give like general advice i mean sorry thank you and i that's also a question i think many people ask about about location because uh, yeah for example's question is should we publish more in ECRA iris robotics conference we know or focus on more journal papers. Um, yeah, what do you expect from final year PhD student? And do you think, generally speaking, the, yeah, because I think publication, many questions people ask you, the pressure to publish, and we know that. There is, yeah, you work in something, and there's a pressure you have to publish this result, and at the same time, you need really high quality papers, and this, yeah, either in conference or the journal. 
So how is this process for PhD student? Like I'm trying to figure out, should I publish more or just two paper in journal? How do you see this equation here for publication? Yeah. I think one of the reasons question. Yeah, I think one of the reasons it's so challenging to answer that question is it actually varies a lot based on the institution and the yeah. department. For you know, for what you do, there might be actually a you know more than one department that you might fit in. And for each university, depending on where that department lives in the university um, or their particular culture, um, the, they might have strong preferences of, of, of one of those over the other. Um, and, uh, you know, at conference papers, we have highly selective conference papers in our field, and many will recognize those as, um, as uh, essentially, you know, it, if, if a place does something like count, they, they'll, they'll include it in the count as uh, journals. Um, but men, but many places will not, um, and so um, you know here at, at MIT, I, you know I was I'm in a, a in the School of Engineering in a in a department where the vast majority of my colleagues publish in journals, not conferences. But there mm -hmm. are others in my department that went through the whole promotion process before me and sort of uh, uh, was able to sort of share the um, you know what is a quality publication in in the field. And I did not have any issues with, you know, the RSS papers or the, uh, you know, the HRI papers um, being understood for what they are is, is uh, very high quality publications. Um, but nonetheless, you know, your, your promotion case does go up to a larger council with people who have different views. And it was, you know, suggested to me, you know, maybe it would be a good idea to have a diverse portfolio of publications, including some journals. And so that's what I aim yeah. to do. Um, and you, you could put more emphasis in one or the other, but uh, but I aim to do a little bit of both, uh, and that that worked out very well for me to sort of hedge a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the the conferences are are there's RA letters. There's ways to uh, get you know uh, journal journal papers out at a at a pace that looks more like uh, dissemination of your results at um, you know at a at a pace you'd see at conferences for you know, the purpose of intellectual exchange. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's a there's a very large decision space open to you, but it is a, I think it is very helpful to be aware that different places will look at your CV and your set of publications differently, and you can't really control that necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe one thing to add to this point is that, and again, I'm coming from an institution where journals are more appreciated for the promotion, so I kind of uh, like prioritized journals. But then for the sake of my students and also for the sake of me as a community, like con conferences are really, really important for the networking and for the fast sharing of ideas because publishing a paper takes much more time than publishing a journal paper. So if you do choose the journal path, it's really important to try to kind of air the idea uh, via a workshop maybe, which does not, um, like a two-page abstract, extended abstract in a workshop does not prevent you from immediately uh, um, sending the same paper to a journal. Um, and then also, again, using archive or bio-archive if you're in the relevant field. So kind of put your work out there, even if you're pursuing the journal path. Yeah, yeah. I can add something to this as well. Uh, Jens, sorry, go ahead, please. Yeah, um, I was just going to say that the number of publications isn't everything either. The citations and related indices also Quite often are taking into account some countries, including the Netherlands, are trying to change that a little bit to be less focused on on these uh, whatever mm. indices and stuff. Um, 
so yeah, it's also important to keep in mind to not kind of dilute your uh, work too much, but mm -hmm. rather focus, like you were saying, also on quality. Yeah. Right. Um, just wanted to add something. Uh, my only suggestion is, um, I think it's always good to to go for the highest ranked journals sometimes, because. Um, Usually these, if, if you have a really good contribution, you're confident. Usually these contributions are reviewed by um, experts in the society. Of course, this is a little bit less the case in conferences. Sometimes conferences are reviewed by PhD students that are not very much experts. Sometimes the judgment is not correct and we know the issues. Of course, this is the, this is the fundamentals of the peer reviewing. But in, in journals, the, the, the likeliness of the paper being reviewed by, by experts is higher. And of course, they might be tougher, but the feedback you receive sometimes is 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 going to open a, a, a huge, let's say, road open because um, we we have we submitted several papers in different journals, and sometimes the, the feedback we received, although at that point negative, in the point of let's say, oh, we have to write review, we have to write responses, but some points were taken, and we created several works based on that feedback. Oh, why did you do that? Why didn't you like? Try this method, and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. Let's try it, and this creates a really good, let's say, um, path uh, in addition to what we're doing. And I think that feedback really mm -hmm. worth it. it. It is worth because, uh, although it's painful at that point, I like this point so much because I think, yeah, based on the story, sometimes if you have completely new idea, it's sonable. So it depends on the journal kind of feedback or review process. And I, I feel there's no consistency here. The way the publication is viewed or the research itself, because it's end of day the peer reviewed and depend what I think about your research. And I think the point here, what do you advise in that case? If you really want to do something new, maybe sometimes reviewed, couldn't understand it. I don't know if you experience like that. This kind of the trade off. I have a new idea. Should I submit to the journal? What if rejected? It's happening sometimes, but I don't know what you experience as a senior researcher here. Yeah, so I, I can maybe respond to this. So I, I definitely agree with what has already been said that you should check in your field what is kind of expected. And mm -hmm. so I'm in a computer science department, so journals are not so important. Um, but conference are, and this might be different in the mechanical engineering uh, or any engineering department. So you have to check that. But generally, if you have a new idea and it's kind of like, you know, it's going to take a while to you know, to form the words to really be convincing in your paper, don't send it to a journal. <laughs> like, I don't know if you made this what? experience. I made the bad experience of like, it takes two years for, for a paper to come out. This is way too long. And yeah, okay, there is some feedback. Um, but two years, I'm sorry, but at this point, it's too long. Mm. So I, I personally, and you know, everyone else here on the, on the channel can contradict me, but I would always rather go for a conference where I get relatively quick feedback um, mm -hmm. on whether, you know, I have written, conveyed my idea in the best possible way or not, and then I can resubmit it. While if I go for a journal, it has really happened um, mm -hmm. that I only, that, you know, it took like two years for a paper to get out and it actually interfered with the graduation of a student. And this was really, really bad. And so I would never do this again and rather have a conference paper out first and then use a journal as a venue to really expand and um, mm. add ex uh, add insights uh, that I have that maybe build on the idea. So that's what, that was my advice to my students yeah. who are in the CS department. Um, but yeah, I, but I, yeah I this so might much. be different for other departments. No, th thanks so much, Annette. I think that's also very important. When I'm curious to ask you in that case, uh, 
do you think the publication process itself, from your experiences, because you have different experiences, what is optimum way you imagine it should be? If, for example, you wait two years and it's a huge disaster, but in the same time, we speak about minimum time publication, we, we can duplicate, for example, soft robotics, we have this issue, it's not working. It's, I assume that's an issue, but for you, when you're imagining what could be like for academia, people know their reality, what, what kind of publication process do you believe could be optimal for you guys and make it, yeah, like really enhancing and not making delay or have a little speak about, I think that's right or wrong. Yeah, that's happening, but what kind of ideal publication process do you think you, you wish would be exist in academia? Well, just to uh, echo some of Jeanette's comments, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, when we have a paper that's a that, that's a little bit or quite a bit different than the other papers we've had in the lab in the past, uh, we workshop that idea, and it's you know improving the you know maybe broadening our understanding of the state of the art in that space, but it's also understanding how to convince someone that what we're doing is valuable to them, which takes some some, some work to kind of figure out. Um, and so uh, we we literally workshop the ideas. We put a workshop paper out, then never go straight to a journal with something like that because you will never get that right on the first try. <laughs> so then you try, you know, a conference, and it might be that that conference isn't quite the right community, or you just didn't get the argument right, or you didn't support, you know, what you were trying to put forward well enough. And so for something new, we sort of expect that there's going to be, I, I'm a big believer in the peer review process, if that doesn't come through through this. <laughs> um, I think our work is always improved by having that type of discussion, either immediate, uh, your workshopping, reaching out, we reach out directly with our ideas to other labs, um, other researchers to get, get feedback on it. Um, and then through the review process, um, getting very high quality reviews back on, on something new that you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. uh, makes the research better longer term for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have never, I've never done such a thing of taking one of those new ideas and, and putting it straight to a journal. And the cycle time is just much too long to, uh -huh. the risk is too high, not to me, but to the grad students that I'm, that I'm working with. Um, so that's not right. my view, the, the great first place to put something like that too. That's a good address. Right. I think it's quite risky for a grad student to go directly for a journal, right? I think also for for the mood, you know, to to be let's say happier while you're working, it's more important that you have some some results already there. So a workshop paper, a couple of conference papers, and you know, so if if your your years of research is going to become a nature paper, maybe it it it, it can happen, but. There is always a what if not, you know. So if, if after three years you're relying on that publication, it's not accepted, then it's going to be a mess. You could have published maybe four or five conference papers to arrive to that point. And it already boosts your energy, you know. You might learn a lot while writing papers and doing experiments and stuff like that. For sure, it should be stage by stage. I definitely back this up. But I think it's also important to, to challenge ourselves to say, okay, I am doing a lot of good publications in conferences. Maybe let me let me try and see what is the feedback from this toughest community in in, in, in RAS or, or, or let's see how these seniors will behave when they see my paper. Not right away, but eventually it's important to also consider sending to a very good journal or maybe a combination of uh, works can be sent to 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 get some some quality feedback as well. Mm -hmm.
That's very good. So sorry. Yeah. So sorry to jump in and interrupt. I'm, I wanted to let you know I'm going to have yeah. to drop off because I yeah, have a yeah. drop out in my after school care today okay. and I need to go to so the kindergarten. Thank you so much, Julia. It was such a pleasure having you. Thank you. Oh, this thank is you. really fun. And I'm sorry not to be able to stay for the rest, but I look forward to watching it. And thank you so much for, for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Thank you. Bye. So, yeah, I don't know if anyone would like to add something here about this point or because we are about to, yeah, yeah, Eliana. I, I actually wanted to add because I, I mean, I, I, I thought at least I interpreted a part of your question as to what we would like the review process to be. And I want to bring actually an angle and an, an idea, a thought from another field that I'm part of, which is the neuroscience and more kind of biological standpoint. And one of the things that um, um, I, I really like the, the publishing model of eLife, which is a new open uh, access um, journal. And the core idea there is actually the consolidations of the reviewer, between the reviewers, which is can be tricky, but it's important because one of the things that can be difficult in the review process that you get three or four or eight uh, reviewer comments and some of them contradict among each other. Uh, so if there is one thing that uh, I actually would like to see evolve in our uh, society in terms of reviewing is this step where the reviewers can kind of discuss in a discussion that is facilitated by the editor and still keeping their anonymity and anything, but mm -hmm. kind of would give a more clear message to the student uh, who's working on that, like what is critical to fix and what the paper could kind of live without, even though it's nice to have. Yeah, that's a very good point as well. Yeah. So um, another question, because I think we will close in like a couple of minutes. So what is the role of the brand name of each school in hiring decision? And I think that question relating that should the name of the school really affecting uh, your chances to get a position in top tier universities? What do you think about this question? The name of the school or the brand name? Yeah. You mean the name of the PhD school? Yes. When you, yeah. For example, the, the name of the school, the PhD, PhD school. Do you think that will affect the chances to be accepted in, in whatever position you're applying for and in top tier uh, university? That's a question. Yeah. I think it may open the door to be considered. I don't mm -hmm. think it can so much affect your chances of being accepted, but it may definitely help to to get the foot in the door. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I would add to that, it's maybe not the name itself, but also the facilities offered by, by the school. So the, the people you have around as advisors uh, or things like the media department that is push, putting your work out and these kind of things. So, so yeah, it, it, it indeed can help, but um, what makes or breaks it in the end is really your CV, I'd say. Harish, mm -hmm. want something? Um, no, for sure. Unfortunately, of course, it has a little bit of effect where you, I mean, maybe a prejudice, like a first impact would be that, but of course the decision will be made on based on your achievements, based on what you have done. Uh, sometimes we receive CVs or we hear about contributions from from not very known universities, but those contributions really 
are way more stronger than some similar contributions coming from very strong universities. Of course, um, we are learning not to have this prejudice, you know, the first, first, uh, okay, this comes from there, it should be great. If this comes from the other university, it should be really bad. Mm -hmm. And we are learning to, to all of us, we are learning to, to change this view. And um, I think this is going in the right direction. But uh, the, at the end of the day, I think what, what will speak is the, is, the, is the accomplishment, is the CV, is the, is the strength of the publications, yeah. networking that you have done and, and all this will, will really count. Mm -hmm. Great. So maybe just, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Just to, I, I also want to emphasize, uh, yes, I think what Ilana said, I agree with that. I think there is some bias, um, but in the end, it may put your foot in the door. Um, but what really matters um, are the letters that you get as well that are written for you that actually describe your contributions and put it into the correct context of your field that those people who read your letters may not, you know, they may not be in your field, so they, uh, they need to understand that. And so that, and uh, the day when you come and have your interview, your talk and talk to all your colleagues, all of these things matter much more. But I do think there is unfortunately uh, a bias towards the school name as well, but I think it's more like the foot in the door. Yeah, that's from the perspective. Yeah. So maybe I'm curious about the skills. Just because some people are speaking about how to be a good teacher, for example, Jennifer mentioned that good teacher and also the admin work, we know that that's part of the work as well as academician. So, what kind of skills do you think is very, very significant for student listening that you have to instill? Yeah, just to make sure. Yeah, you have the hard chances to be a good, a good academician. What kind of skill do you think is very significant? What What was most surprising to me? Um, so personally, I never wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but you know, I never wanted. So I went became an engineer and roboticist because, you know, I don't have to deal with people. <laughs> Honestly, and now the only thing I'm doing is to, you know, be a manager and like lead a group and all of this. So it's all about the people. It's all about the students. Which I surprisingly, I think my younger self would be very surprised about this, but I enjoy this a lot. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's maybe also something to consider that you can change or maybe a pers like something you think is true for you uh, may actually not be true. You have to try it first. Um, but yeah, it, it turns out that if you are in academia and you take a faculty position, you're becoming that coach, right? And you are coaching uh, people, you, uh, you deal a lot with, um, you know, everyday uh, concerns and all sorts of levels. So I think that's yeah. actually something that was surprising to me personally. Yes. Yeah. Anyone skills for everyone? Yeah. Communication would they maybe be the word, and it can be in so many levels, like write, writing grants, and then teaching, and then selling your grants, right? Maybe um, these uh, two stages uh, grants where you have to have the interview and you have to defend your ideas in, in person and, and sell it, and, and, and like these sort of elevator pitch, all of them are, it's all communication. So you really have to be an expert in communication. Yeah. Uh, if I can add to that, I think one superpower you need to have is to not to take things personally because it's the most important thing because people might reject your papers. They have nothing, nothing against you. It's just, it's the, it's the, the thing that might evolve. They might uh, want to come work with you, but eventually they change their mind. Maybe there are some other mm -hmm. matters in the middle of, uh, they might come work with you, but they're not exactly. So it's, it's just 
not taking things personally. It's one of the one of the key things in in becoming a good, let's say, researcher or eventually a leader. I think in in academia as well. Mm-hmm. Let's say, well, it's more a meta skill, a meta skill of being willing to to learn and willing to learn about your own strengths and weaknesses, willing to mm-hmm. learn from uh, other people, um, but also from your own team. Um, it's for me. It was a really, yeah, a, a yeah. long learning process, a long evolution. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So, two questions left. I would like to ask before we closing. The first one about what to think you shouldn't do to be a successful academic. There's mistakes for sure we do. From your experience, what that thing that we shouldn't do, that you shouldn't do to be a successful academician, and yeah, maybe that's the first part. I don't know if that's relevant to you. You should avoid doing that thing in academia. Um, creating enemies, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think it's more of um, uh, encouraging people to 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 what about what they're doing. I mean, sometimes in academia, mm-hmm. you see the aspect of uh, even in conferences, you're giving a talk, and people have this hostile mentality of of under, let's say, valuing other people's work. I think undervaluing other people's work um, is is really bad. Even when you're writing a negative review, it can be like this work is really bad, or it can be this can be improved like this. Uh, it's best to 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 take the second path instead of you know let's let's help. It's our community. It's small. Uh, yet sometimes you go to neuroscience community uh, conferences. There are like ten thousand people get get together, and it's you know they get the stadium to be able to to have these abstract talks. Our community mm-hmm. is still small. I mean relatively. So we need really need to uh, encourage new people or people that are getting in the right direction. Right. That's something very similar um, because there's not only the worldwide academic community, but you also should not forget about your local community. So the university you're also very much embedded in that. You need to work together with people and get along with people. Um, being yeah. the brilliant person worldwide, but not fitting in within your university, at least according to my definition, is not a successful uh, academic person mm-hmm. either. Great, yeah. I have uh, another point, um, not communicating about your work at all, right? Like not going out there, presenting it, uh, just sitting in your room in a way and working on it. Maybe you publish it, right? But you don't really go out and make uh, advertisement yeah. for it and discuss with people. I think that's also detrimental because in a way you, you have to get out there and um, make it known, uh, maybe connect to people, maybe collaborate with people to have an impact in a way. If um, I think that's also important on top of what has already been said. Maybe I can continue on the same point that Janet started is also kind of, um not being uh, like afraid to talk, to share it with, I don't know how to, to phrase it exactly, uh, like open science, like putting your work on archive, talking about it at conferences, even before if it's published in the journal paper, like it's not to be so afraid, like not to be afraid that your ideas may be stolen or something like that, because eventually the, the, the value that you get from getting a feedback about work that is not mature is much more than the value of like sitting in your own room and kind of getting somewhere whether you would 
whether it would seem that you would get to something completely different. Excellent, yeah. So I think uh, the last question I would like to ask if someone really been in academia and just try to figure out whether to go industry or maybe to try something else. I think that's a question I, I think in, in, in university, how on earth you can ask this question if people don't have the experiences from the other side. I don't know if you can relate to that. Of course, you're in academia, but if you're a student, for example, I'm not sure now, maybe I'm still in a postdoc or maybe even a, a professor and I just want to go outside and explore other things and it's happening. What, what advice you can give or if you have a, like a student in a situation like that? Is this a point that academia is not for me anymore and I just have to go and explore other options? How you can come up with decision because some people say that research is like our identity and most people say that it's become identity. I can't leave it. And you still, I think that's what Arish was saying at the beginning that time goes fast and you are you're lost in this time. So if you can give advice in that, or maybe inside this, if someone in a situation like that. Arish, you want to say something? Right. So um, if I can start. So um, I think um, excluding the last two years because decisions we make uh, based on the last two years are probably wrong because unfortunately uh, in this period really people work in, in academia for instance my first two years PhD students they have no idea what a conference is you know sometimes it, it looks really um, sort of a repetitive uh, in front of a screen task that you submit you record the video and then you upload it there's no interaction there's no uh, yeah. so excluding these two years I think when you arrive to a point um, not after like first failure, but repetitively, you see that basically what you're doing um, is not responding. I think the first way is if you can change, because it may be the environment, not you. Maybe mm -hmm. the environment is not let, letting you to, to produce because environment makes, you know, like if you put the best tree maybe in, in, in an environment, like the, the most adaptive tree in a, in a, in a dry environment will never, it's, it's quite not. But, um, Eventually, if that's not the case, if you really like academia, but you see you're not producing, maybe mm. best is to change. But eventually you see that, no, it's probably you that you're not responding to, the, to this request. I think it's not like either, you know, academia or nothing. So there are many ways of uh, being su successful, especially industry now is getting a bit far mm. away from traditional industry. So now, now there are a lot of R&Ds in industry. So there's still a lot of potential for research, doing exciting stuff there, not necessarily publishing. Publication is just basically in academia. You can do still a lot of ex exciting yeah. stuff, but within an industrial frame. That's a good point, yeah. Who wants to add, uh, Eliana wants to add something here? Um, I, I don't know if it's uh, so much related to the point, but they kind of resonated to me this, uh, I am my research. I think it's something that um, I, 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 I'm super invested in my research. I'm excited about my research. I want to advance my research, but I am not my research. Like, I am, uh, uh, it's really important, I think. It's something that is a message that is really important for the well being. Yeah. And because research can fail, but it doesn't mean that I failed. It means the, the research question maybe failed and maybe the experiment failed, but not I as, as an individual. I would so, like to thank you for that. Yeah, because I think mental health is a lot of issue, I think, uh, in academia. And also we have a freedom, but we, we work long hours. So it's, yeah, it depends. So, but I absolutely agree with you. And that's a very important message. Very, very important message. Thanks so much for that. 
I don't know if Janet would like something in that. And yes, just I feel like this was a great closing sentence. <laughs> like that, I I am not my research, uh, but you know, invested but not defined by yeah. it. I think that's a very good point. So, uh, I don't know if anyone would like to add here before we have final words. Anyone would like to add something, or maybe points? Okay. So I don't know if you have any final words like to say for a student. Yeah. Just final words to wrap up. Yeah. Um, to me, it's the most it's the most difficult and the most amazing job that I could uh, imagine for myself. Yeah. Hey, for me, I feel really lucky in uh, doing what I'm doing now, and uh, I really hope that eventually all these research contributions will come come to life and we see them in in, in real industrial mm -hmm. settings in my case for some people can be hospitals for some people can be uh, roads and this this makes it even more exciting yeah and yes my advice would be don't get frustrated and talk to people mm -hmm. great yeah well, last legion it so yeah uh, maybe I, on top of what already has been said, I also want to say that I, in my job, one thing that I personally enjoy very much is to actually see my students uh, yeah. developing and succeeding uh, and also, uh, you know, uh, being maybe less frustrated because things don't yeah. work out uh, as they wanted, but actually coming to that other side as well. Um, so I, I enjoy that a lot uh, about this job as well. Thanks so much. So uh, I think we are with close and I would like to thank each of you for your time. I give a little share your time and giving us insights for this very important topic. So again, thank you also for Amy and I to the US for organizing this. So I hope you enjoy it and thank you. Thank you so much.